and I stopped the glider. I was again headwind, and then it started immediately spinning from the other side. Then I stop it again. I keep in a kind of tail slide. I let the glider fly, and then I was like maybe 20 or 30 meters next to the cliff. And then it comes a next gust, which like just take me and threw me up with the glider was like 90 degrees next to me. I was in a kind of wing over, but somehow climbing and it lift me up and then it uh, shoot me down on the, on the lee side. So in that situation, for sure, I was kind of good to keep the glider open, but I felt I don't have, I don't have the control of, of what I'm doing. I'm just, uh, uh, a leaves in a in a in a strong wind, you know, and uh, yeah, that's make me feel really small, and and that was the thing which scared me the most because I felt like this and <clears throat> the power which was there, it was way bigger than me, and what that what I can I can't control this. Pretty scary uh, tale there related from Aaron Durigati about uh, one of his experience in this year's X-Alps. That's uh, a little prelude of things to come. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem podcast. Before we get into this uh, podcast with Aaron Durigati, just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping with you all. First and foremost, thank you all so much for your generous donations. Um, These are actually taking more and more time as I get a little bit better at editing and trying to make them a little bit cleaner. I really appreciate that and allows me to give beers and stuff to these guys when I see them. Uh, So thank you for that. Uh, Many of you have asked where you can do that. Uh, You can't do it through iTunes or Stitcher. You have to go through the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. Each of the podcasts uh, down below the podcast and the write-up about uh, the athlete or whoever I'm talking to is a little donate button. You'll see it there. It works through PayPal. It's pretty seamless and takes just a couple seconds. Uh, Thank you very much for that. If you don't want to miss any of these on the homepage of the Cloud Based Mayhem, you can find where you can put in your uh, email address and I'll send you out a newsletter each time I, one of these comes out so you won't miss a podcast in the future. Uh, we don't spam. I don't sell that list to anybody else. So totally safe. If you want to communicate with me as well, uh, give me your advice or feedback from any of these shows or people you want to have on the show or questions, uh, feel free to link up with me either through Facebook or through uh, that website. Aaron Durgati, uh, this guy has a career at the age of 29 that would make most people really jealous at the age of 60. Um, I cannot believe how much Aaron's gotten done. He started flying with his dad when he was like six years old. Uh, He started flying solo on his own when he was 15. He's only 29 now. Uh, the first time I flew with Aaron was at the Super Final in 2014 in Colombia, which he won. He became the world champion that year. Uh, he's competed in the X Alps now twice. He was seventh in 2013, and he was sixth in this uh, this time around. He and I spent quite a bit of time together training this spring uh, in his neck of the woods around Murano, Italy, uh, when we were learning the course line around Turn Point Five to Turn Point Six, uh, the Brenta down to Piscorvach. So uh, I love Aaron. He's 
He's a great guy, great personality, super passionate about the sport. He's a wicked backcountry skier, speed pilot, uh, acro pilot, tumbles, uh, you name it. He can do it really well on a wing. And in this episode, we get into uh, his sponsorship contracts and how that affects what he's doing with with Red Bull and others. Uh, We talk about his tandem business, about his dad, uh, about how he's approached progression, uh, mistakes he's made along the way and how he's really switching from being kind of a purely comp pilot to more of a cross-country pilot. I was quite surprised to learn this spring that the longest flight he'd had at that point was in the 2013 X-Alps, a little over 200k. I would have thought somebody like Aaron would be flying that kind of distance all the time, but turns out for years and years he was really just working on racing fast. And uh, so we talk about how he's changing things a little bit now and advice for new people getting into the sport uh, aha moments we go to a lot of really cool places in this talk i think you're going to really enjoy it um some fantastic valuable lessons from a guy who has just been crushing out there so without further ado aaron duragani Good to talk to you. It's, uh, I'd love to be doing this face to face, but uh, I, I believe you're in Murano. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes. I'm. Uh, I'm at home now. I was in Tenerife till two years, uh, two days ago, but uh, now I'm back, uh, back home. Were you competing out in Tenerife? Uh, no, I was uh, there for um, photo and video shooting for Saleva. It was me and uh, Paul Gushbauer for uh five days just five days work oh cool that's that's fun i'll i'm actually having him on the podcast next week so we'll have to dive into what you guys did together that that's that's a good time well hey uh you know one of the things i wanted to dive right into is uh, you know i know a lot of your fans uh know your history quite well but i think a lot of the people that that listen to the mayhem the listen to the show are, are maybe not as familiar with your history um can you just take walk me back through you're 29 now is that correct yeah, yeah, okay. I'm 29, and um, I actually I have a big history in the paragliding, or I'm in this scene since many years, because my father was uh, was pilot, so I I have done my first tandem with him when I was six, and uh, of course because my father was my hero, I I want to paraglide as well. And then uh, I have done some couple of tandem with him, but actually when I was 10, 11, I, I didn't really like it to fly tandem with him as passenger. I, I always want to fly alone, but uh, because I was uh, kind of a little bit crazy kid, uh, my father just let me start to real fly when I was 15, before I could just play a little bit with a glider on the field, but not really flying. But then with 15, he, he think I'm uh, like uh, maybe big enough to fly. And so then I, I start. And since ever that, I really push a lot. It was in Italy. It's cool because in the summer we have three months uh, off from the school. So in these three months, I was like flying every day. And uh, after when the school start, I was flying in the afternoon as uh, as much as I could and in Merano here it's very very easy because we have cable car everywhere 
So I was just driving with my scooter to the to the to the cable car station, going up. So I was always alone, going flying. Just after school, I take my small scooter, going to take the glider and going flying. Till the winter, in the winter I was skiing because I was um, competing in ski till 18. But then in the spring again, I was uh, flying as much as I could with a target actually to become a professional pilot, compete in the World Cup. And I have like Jimmy Parker as hero. And uh, yeah, soon I start with the competition as well. It takes me, because at the time when I start, it was... uh, a bit different format in the World Cup. Like now, it's pretty easy to get into the World Cup. But when I started, it was the the World Cup tour. It was not super final, so the level was really high. You have to be like top five, top eight maximum in the in in your national to get into the World Cup. So it takes me a bit long. I start then World Cup in two thousand nine. My first World Cup was in Korea, and then, yeah, since that, I was competing a lot in the World Cup. That year was the first year of the Super Final, which I did pretty well. I, I It was in Italy, in Poggio Bustone, I finished fourth, and it was my first for Gene, because I have fl- flown, actually, in all my life, only two brands. From the beginning, I was flying Nova, and then I was flying also all the prototypes from Nova. And then uh, in in the summer of 2009, uh, Nova decided to stop the developing of prototypes, competition glider, again. And uh, because they have competition glider till 2000, then they stop it and then they start again. And they have really good glider. But then in 2009, in the summer, they decide to stop. And I was super lucky because on my first World Cup, it was in Korea, and uh, I did pretty well. I finished fourth, and I have done some podium tasks, and I got uh, in touch with uh, Jin. And then in that summer, without that I asked anything, uh, Jimmy, which is the Jin dealer in Italy, contacted me to... Um, I mean, that he got a call from Jin that he wanted that I fly for him. So in that summer, in 2009, I, because Nova was uh, stopping the, comp- the, the, the prototypes, and at the same time, Gene asked me to become uh, a Gene pilot and test pilot as well for him. So then I moved to Gene, and I fly the super final on, on the Boomerang 7 Proto, and I finished their fourth. And it was the super final with the first two-liner, actually was... Charles and uh, Charles Cazot and Ogden was doing first and second with this ozone two liner, mm-hmm. and there was uh, Luca Donini on the boomerang, and which was third, and I was fourth. Wow, that's and an yes, that, uh, <laughs> I was uh, flying a lot uh, cross country competition, and then yeah, up and down. The year after was a bit hard because uh, ozone has. Uh, R10, R11, which was a kind of really good glider comparing what I was flying. Mm-hmm. Then was coming the year when I was flying Boomerang X and Ozone has Ainso 1, which was a huge difference. But uh, in that year, I was flying really like black and white. I was winning some tasks, 
but bombing out a lot. And on the super final that year, I, Gene comes with the Boomerang 9, which was a bit better than Enzo. And with the experience of uh, having always bad glider, I, I felt so easy to fly. And then I won the, the super final in Colombia in 2013. Uh, so I became World Cup winner in uh, 2013, but it was of the World Cup of 2012 because it was in January. Was your, if we re- rewind the clock a little bit, was your passion for competition something that brewed from your father, or was that something you just kind of latched onto on your own? Well, I was always a com- competitive guy. Like, my father was competing, but uh, just small competition. He was a good pilot uh, in my area, uh, in the area where we live. And he was doing some regional competition, national competition, but he was not, like, uh, really pushing to, to, be, to, to win or something. He has fun on the competition. He liked to do it. But uh, for me, it was different because... I was uh, competing already in ski, and I'm very competitive. And um, yet, um, the fact that since kids I want to fly, I connect it not only to fly, but I connect that I want to compete and and becomes uh, like a top pilot. That was always uh, my idea since I was kid. So that was kind of what you set to be your goal as a career. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. that's that's pretty neat. That's a it's a harder. I mean, I don't think many people in in my neck of the woods view it that way because it's such a smaller sport. It's quite hard to actually make a living. But you're, um, you you also have a tandem business. Is that correct? Is it is it, or or is your whole business just uh, sponsorship and your own flying? No, um, I have a I have a tandem uh, tandem business because my father had it. Okay. So um, uh, now I'm running this business, but uh, it gave me a lot in the in the past year. I was uh, I was flying a lot of tandem to 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 earn the money which I need to compete. But uh, luckily, in the last uh, three years, changed a lot. Um, I managed to get really good sponsor and. Now I'm done. I'm just managing the the tandem business and flying a little bit myself, but uh, not as before. And now I can focus more on my training and fly more my own. And in the last year, I anyway start a lot of uh, training in matter of uh, uh, running and uh, ski touring, which I really like and gym. So yeah, let's say the last. Two three years was a big step forward. And but is that, I keep running. Is that, is that training that you're doing then? Is that oriented towards the X Alps or just being fit and training in general? No, actually, it start everything uh, when I start uh, to think seriously about the X Alps. It was like uh, five five to six years ago. I decide uh, that. Uh, I want to take part at the at the Red Bull X Alps, and so I start uh, I start to train as well the my physical uh, uh, condition. So yeah, it was I start really to push in 2012, 
and uh, yeah. Mm. Now I'm really addicted to train. (laughs) I really love train. It is addicting, isn't it? The, you mentioned when you were kind of coming up through after the World Cup in, in 2009, uh, you went through a time where you were you know, racing really fast and also bombing out as well. I want to talk, about, talk to you about uh, strategy and tactics and you know, what those lessons taught you. Did you, did you come out of that um, you, you know, frustrated and deciding you had to change some things or was that really just your style and um, take me from take me from the Korean World Cup in 2009 to your win at the Super Final in Colombia a couple years ago what, what, what were the pieces of the puzzle or maybe did you have any kind of aha moments in that in that time that allowed you to you mentioned the glider you you were on a really good glider at the Super Final but um, were there other things that really kind of fell into place yes um, I actually at the at the beginning of my career in the competition, I was not um, really pushing in front. I was more uh, a tactical pilot. Like uh, I like to be in the in the group and in the gaggle and check out what the other does and uh, and uh, yeah, take like uh, yeah the 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 opportunity to check out and to see the line from the other and then find like try to get the bet- best out of it but with this style it's uh, you can be really good but uh, I was still missing uh, the, the um, to be able to win alone a task you know like to, to go in front and keep on going and be in front of the goggle so in, still in 2009 I was more a goggle pilot but uh, little by little, I, 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 I know this. I remember that I was happy about my skills because I was able to fly with the best and, uh, and, and stay with them. But I was not able to take the, the, the decision to, to go alone and to push till the goal. So in 2010, 2011, I... I set a goal of mine to <clears throat> to try to even if I will bomb out to take my decision and keep on going and to push in front and uh, yeah it was of course good it was sometimes a bit sad because I was on the ground and the people passed me above but uh, this uh, from this I learned a lot. And um, I, I, I think like the best, uh, the, the best pilot is the pilot which is able to win the task, but at the same time it's able to fly in the gaggle. So, and this is the mix which, uh, which, uh, can, which has uh, the best pilot. And I'm trying to, 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 to get on this level. And... Uh, yeah, I think now I have kind of, uh, I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I kind of reached this level. Sometimes now my problem is more that I want too much, and so still I bomb out sometimes, like in the Exalps. <laughs> but uh, uh, well, I have fun. Like when I when I'm leading a gaggle or leading a, 
uh, uh, part of the task, I have really fun. And so if I if I then put on a scale what is more important, if always has a result or having fun, I, I have to say I like also to have fun. For example, like last year, uh, it was on the, the best four days of the year. I was in a competition in Austria. It was the Austrian Open. It was an international comp. And we have like uh, every day, one day 150, one day 160, one day 110 kilometer. And I, the first task I bombed, I bombed out. But then I won the second one, and the third one was the longest I did task. It was 160 or 70 k's, and I managed to stay in front uh, 80 kilometer and get alone into the goal, and that's like super cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really fun. You, you mentioned when you and I were training, and we're going to get into the X Alps a little bit later on for sure, because that'll be fun to talk about. But when you and I were training together for those few days uh, this spring, in in kind of near your near where you fly near Murano, um, you mentioned that your your longest flight um, was actually in the 2013 X Alps. Your longest free flight was actually in the 2013 X Alps of a little over 200K, which really surprised me because, um, you know, of course, where you live, you have the opportunity, I know, when with good weather to do big triangles. But how do you, how do you train? Because I, I would have thought you'd had many many flights uh of that length are much longer but i remember you said that uh you really when you free flew uh you were training for competitions you were trying to fly really fast uh, when you just fly by yourself or maybe with some friends instead of in a competition but how do you approach uh your free flying versus uh competition flying yeah mm, it's right uh this fly was actually till that time my longest flight because I'm when I'm at home, I I fly almost every day when I can. But um, I I don't till now. I didn't really like to fly big cross country because I prefer like to fly small tasks. I always fly with turning point. I have all over uh, my my valleys here, which is like yeah around uh, sixty kilometer to the west and. 40 to the east and 30 to the south, these three valleys. I have turning point everywhere, and according to the day, I always build a task for me, and uh, I try to fly this task as fast as possible. So, yeah, I like to do this, and I think it's uh, it's really good um, for, for the competition to fly always task, because I put always a start, I put cylinder, I put tricky one, I put some task I try to fly to say myself, okay, I don't, mm, I try to thermal as less as possible or to thermal as much as possible or uh, like every time I leave a thermal just to fly full bar all the time. So I set some rules in my task as well. But um, I figured it out that uh, I was missing also this uh, cross-country flight like this long flight and uh, because I was always thinking it's important just to be fast but I figured it out uh, by the way that um, for the X-Alps I need also to fly like regular cross-country where it's not so important to be always 
as fast as possible, but it's important also sometimes just to survive and uh, to take here. it easy. And uh, actually, I started this then after the X-Alps, <laughs> and uh, I have done some long flight, and then I was in India because it was the World Cup there, and I have done some very nice flight there in Beer. Also cross-country one, I have done a 208, 206, and all, but yeah, this India was really cool because I could also push a lot. I have average of 38, 39 Ks an hour, mm. so over 200 kilometer for triangle, it was, it was cool. When, when you, that is cool, beer is amazing, that's where I, I'm very fond of that place. I did kind of some of my first... Uh, bigger XC there back in 2009 and 2011 is fantastic big mountains with yeah. very little wind it's it's a pretty amazing spot yeah um, when you look back at your career Aaron uh, well maybe two questions um, you know if you could go back and tell your 15 year old self when your dad gave you the, the wing for the first time to go play by yourself um, would you have any advice for that Aaron and, and then also when you look back uh, this is the second part of that have there been any um, there been any times where you know your training approach has been wrong or there's been you know mistakes or wastes of time or wastes of money when you look back mm, I don't think I waste time or money uh, I could uh, for sure have done better but I think uh, all in all it was not bad uh, this was something which my father um, actually forced me to fly um, every year. I mean, he go, he gave me the first year a DHV-1 and then uh, the next year I, I was flying really a lot on these and then the next year I got a DHV-1 to 2 and then the year after a DHV-2 and like people which was flying much less than me after one year was already flying the DHV2 and after two years they was already on a competition glider and mm -hmm. uh, at the time for me was I really wanted also to 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 get on the competition glider fast but uh, I think that was really the good point of my father which let me do everything step by step because in the end uh, yeah like most of the guys which start with me and after uh, two seasons was already flying uh, uh, more demanding glider, uh, some of them stopped and some other didn't ever reach the level which I had because when I was changing the glider, I, the glider I had, it was really a toy for me. So like uh, at the beginning, I remember all the time when I was finished my flight and I still have some altitude above the landing, I was doing like spinning, uh, collapses, stall, uh, spiral, negative, everything. And this gave me like a super good feeling about the glider. And uh, yeah, back then I started also uh, acro and um, I, think, I think it was really good. I think somehow my father never gave me like, he was never really a coach, but uh, from behind he... Uh, show me the the somehow the the, the a good way, hmm. and I am happy for it. How many how many hours would you say you fly a year? Do you keep track? I don't know exactly, but I think at the beginning I was flying 
for sure around uh, 300 hours, 350 hours a year. Do you think it's still up that high? I think I'm flying maybe even more now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Have you ever had kind of a lull? Obviously, you're super passionate about it, um, and you're, you can see it in your eyes. I've always loved that about you, how much you love flying. But have you ever had kind of a – have you ever had either an accident or a time in your career where you've had to really back off or you haven't really had the – it hasn't given you the joy or you've had to maybe refine the passion? Mm, not really. I have a, a low point in 2000 – uh, six or five. Uh, let me think. Two thousand six. No, two thousand seven. Because, but yeah, I think uh, just because the glider I was flying, because I was flying a prototype of Nova, which was really bad. Hmm. It was kind of uh, I don't want to say dangerous, but it was not that safe for sure, and it was also not performing well. Mm. And uh, the, con the 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 combination of the two things, it was uh, the result was that I was really bad in the competition, because actually since the beginning I was always successful. I start with really small competition, but I win it, and then I go on a little bit bigger competition and I win it, and then in two seven I I have really like uh, few competition where I was doing really bad. I was out of the competition. But uh, then, um, yeah, then it's, it's turned to be super because like Hannes Papesch, the designer, made a glider which was fantastic. It was like amazing, cool. At that time, I was not that good, but I think if that glider was in the hands of a good pilot, he could have won. Uh, it was maybe as good as Krieger won. But uh, I, I was flying on it and... Uh, I remember very well when I got it. It was uh, I was with uh, Tony Bender in Aachensee in Austria, and uh, Hannes told us, uh, "Well, first we have to put the line on it, and then he sent us up with the cable car." And he say to me, "Okay, Aaron, if you want to fly with this glider, first you have to show me that you are able to fly on it. Hmm. So now you go up and you make me like uh, asymmetric collapse, front collapse, and stall and spin." And <laughs> it was very funny because I go up with Anne, uh, with uh, Tony Bender and we he took off first. He go out and he made the first asymmetric collapse and he did almost a tumbling and then <laughs> spin, like twist and big shit. And, and I was like shaking. I was thinking, fuck, now it's my time. So I did it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can explain in English, but at the time I was having this um, wind sensor which was hanging down. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. like, okay, so I don't know why I was so stupid that even by doing collapse I have it. So I did the first collapse <laughs> and the glider like shoot a lot and I was trying to keep the shoot. It was really going for a tumble almost. And when I'm super focused to stop the glider, I got this uh, air uh, calculator <laughs> into the eyes. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> it was, yeah, kind of very funny situation, but at the same time, very scary. But, yeah, in the end, I, I catch the glider, and then I did the front, and I did the stall. 
then I land and uh, Hannes told me, okay, then you can fly with this glider. And uh, yeah, uh, right after I go to Slovenia uh, for the Slovenian championship. And it was also very useful, this competition, because on the very first task, I was in Slovenia, you fly a lot on the reach, you push on the reach. And uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was on the reach with this super glider. And I remember very well that a girl passed me, uh, a girl, I think, from Poland or Czech, some, I don't know. And she was flying on a 2 to 3 and she passed me. And I was thinking, no way. <laughs> and yeah, but from that, I learned really to push the bar. And in the end of the competition, I make a podium and... Uh, yeah, from that competition after I becomes one of the fastest uh, pilot in the speed bar, and the next competition was in Italy, and then I won my first uh, um, task in the in the Italian uh, national. So it was very funny. How much? But how otherwise, I never has uh, really accident by flying. I have through rescue just by acro. Uh, by Accra, I have used maybe five or six rescue. Actually, one was really, really ugly. I fall into the glider by training Infinity. At the really beginning, when I was learning Infinity tumbling, I, I fall into the canopy. and uh, But, yeah, luckily I get out from the canopy and I could throw my rescue. Oof. Otherwise, in cross-country, I never threw rescue and... I never has really accident except of last year. I had a really stupid accident by landing with a with a Yeti, which is a A glider. So it's no fault of the glider at all. It it was anything jet dangerous. But I was climbing on a glacier uh, next to to the place where I'm living, Ortler, and uh, I couldn't start from the very top. On the very top, it's not so steep. But I have to walk down because it was in the fog and I didn't have GPS or no, or compass, anything. And I walked down and I took off from a very steep slope. So I decided to keep my crampons on. And then when I was flying, I was still thinking to take out my crampons. But at the same time, I have more than 2,000 meters above the, the valley floor. So I was uh, anyway thinking to, to fly some helicopter and misty flip. And so I think, okay, then maybe it's better I keep my crampons on because if I will take it out, I will have to put in my jacket. And then I was thinking if it's going to never happen, but if something happened that I have to through the rescue, I don't want to fall with the rescue yeah. and the crampons in the jacket. No. So I keep my, my crampons on and I fly my Misty and Haley, just a basic acro, and I go for landing. And I just land kind of normal, but uh, it was um, it was a field with grass, and the crampons get stuck into the grass, and the next step like took turn and broke my ankle and twist the ankle and broke the ligaments and the uh, fibula bones. <sighs> so it was really an ugly accident. It was super painful. It was super bad, uh, but just for nothing. Just I. I if if I will have put more attention it will never happen because after I have two surgery and I have to keep this gips for uh, 6 weeks and then I was flying with this yeti with the crutches and taking off on one leg and landing on one leg so 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, if I will have put the same attention as I have put after, it will never happen. It was just that I didn't put enough attention. Well, a good, but a good lesson. Kind old. of unlucky, but a good lesson, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like they all are. Um, how did you become a Red Bull athlete? When did that happen, and and how did that come about? Yeah, it was like uh, in 2013. I was, uh, uh, yeah. I have won the World Cup, and uh, it was my first year of X-Alps. So I got in touch with the Red Bull, um, actually with the Red Bull Italy, because uh, they they was uh, they need um, an athlete to to go to the to the conference, to the press conference in Italy with the journalists to explain the comps and to yeah. To, to to talk about uh, the the flying and the competition so I got in touch with them and uh, um, that was uh, late spring uh, then I have the X Alps where I was doing kind of okay I have like a very up and down race like uh, yeah uh, I was at the beginning good then I was not so good and I did really well and in the end I fucked up again but uh, yeah somehow they 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 was happy with uh, with that what I do and with the overall uh, um, overall uh, package of me with the speed riding and the cross country comps and the X types as well so they decide to sponsor me and yeah like this start everything is there pressure or have things changed for you in either a positive or negative way uh either through social media desires obviously when you're sponsored you have to put things out to your fan base but also for the companies that sponsor you they want that attention have you found that that's has had any change in your um, either passion for the sport or the way you approach it is there is there any negative side to the the sponsorship mm, i can't i can't see a negative side actually i remember the first uh, ray the first comp i did uh, with the red bull log on my glider it was in venezuela it was a pre world cup and there i felt a little bit like kind of not really pressure but like oh wow now i have I have to be good. Everybody expect <laughs> that I will be good. Right. But I did. I did also good. And after that comp, I, 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 yeah, it was just the very first comp where I have this uh, uh, Red Bull log on my glider and the helmet and everything. It was. It was feeling a bit strange. But now I can see just positive side, like. I thanks to the Red Bull uh, sponsor that I'm a Red Bull athlete I get other sponsor because the biggest thing of Red Bull is once you have you are a, a Red Bull athlete you have a lot of visibility so it's easy to get other sponsors mm. as well and that give me the chance to really be focused on what I what I want to do and to train more and to fly less tandem I don't do ski structure anymore which I was doing before till uh, till I was a Red Bull athlete. I was working all winter as ski instructor, mm. and uh, just after the lessons, I was ski touring myself, or uh, taking like three hours to go speed riding and then do lessons again. 
and now I can just uh, I have much more time I can train much more and uh, I can see just positive aspect actually oh, that's that's really cool well take me back to the the super final that you won in, in Colombia when you that when you became the world champion um, what what was your approach going into that race where, where do you like to be mentally or what was your um, obviously you went into that race hoping you'd win but um, you know because super finals are very long 12 days we had perfect weather we flew almost every day um, you know there were the fire issues that year but other than that the flying was was pretty ideal but how do you how do you stay consistent how do you approach was your approach at the super final still to just win tasks and go really hard or was it more to gaggle fly and and, and um, you take take me through kind of your headspace that that, that week or those two weeks actually <clears throat> yeah it was um the tactic it was a bit a mix of everything i according to the task and the condition i was uh, trying uh, to to figure it out what it's going to happen so if i felt it's going to be a task where i have to push i try to push if i felt it was a task where it's better to be more conservative and fly with the with the group i did it so everything was working pretty well already from the beginning when I got there, I got there three days before the comp and I realized immediately that my glider was really good and uh, that uh, I start to fly around the their Rodanillo, some task. And I, I was flying with a smile because the glider was good and I was pushing full bar everywhere and I always find a thermal to, to climb. So I felt like I can't bomb out in that place. And so already from the very beginning, I felt uh, really uh, confident. And then, uh, by the way, during the comp, um, I was keeping cool and having fun. Like after the the task, I went every day running to to train, and at the same time to to don't think about the pressure because already after the second task, I was first or second. And uh, I keep like the podium all all the comps till the end. I start well and I keep on going well. And so I went every day running. After running, I have dinner. I eat like usual super a lot. And uh, I I find like a kind of routine. And um, it was going everything easy actually till the very last day, because. Uh, Actually, with the calculation we did, I have won the super final already before the last task hmm. because I have uh, really a lot of points uh, in in front of the second. But then everything fall down on the last task because uh, on the briefing before the last task they give me zero point of the task before because they said that I was flying in the fire, which was not. And I know I can prove it, but still I, I was starting for the for the last task with zero point of the previous one. So I was still first, but I, I couldn't do any mistake. And uh, yeah, that was really ugly. <laughs> there I was feeling really under super pressure and I was thinking, okay, now I will fucked up everything. I have done the perfect comps and then now I will, I will do for sure a, a shit. But uh, actually, like the first half of the task, I was 
I was in the leading group and I was flying well. And then I did a small mistake, which becomes, uh, it follow with bigger and bigger mistake. And I remember very well, like we have to go after being in the mountain out in the flat. And I was like thousand meter lower than the first group, which was maybe 30 pilots. And they start to go in the flat. And I know it that I can't start, that I have to do to climb, but I start. And I was thinking, okay, when I did it, I was thinking at the same time, okay, you, you are done. You will bomb out for sure now. And then it was very nice because um, Thomas Browner at the time was next to me. And he knew it that I'm going to, to bomb out. And he pushed like full bar in front of me and he find a thermal for me. I thermal this thermal. And I know, and I say myself, okay, now I'm in this thermal and I have to climb as much as I can. And I stay in this thermal just a little bit as long the thermal was strong. And then without that I want it, I leave the thermal and I go again. And Thomas saw me again and he again pushing full bar and search another thermal for me. And he find it and I went in that thermal. And with that thermal, I catch up the, the, the first group. And then in the end, I, I fly. Uh, I was not top 10, like 15 or something like this. But enough. anyway, enough to win. Mm. But then in the really end, they also give me back my points. So then it was fine. But it was uh, really sketchy. Boy, I hope you got some beers for Thomas. That was a, that was a nice yeah, move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to have friends on, on course yeah, line. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so tell me after you win a super final like that, and you, you mean there, there really isn't, uh, in terms of competition, uh, uh, other than the world championships, the, uh, uh, a greater, a, a greater thing to win. How do you, how do you go from there? And, and what, uh, um, did, did you come out of that, uh, still just as hungry and for the next one, or did you kind of take a break and go, Hey, well, I've, I've, I'm the world champion. Um, what, what, where do you go from there? Uh, well, uh, right after it was the X-Alps, mm. and uh, so I was really hungry for the X-Alps. I really want to do it well in uh, already the previous X-Alps. And still I, I keep my, my, my motivation for, uh, for compete. I, I, didn't, um, I didn't stop or uh, slow it down. I'm still like super pushing. And uh, obviously, yeah, it's the fact in the last uh, two years I didn't have won anything big. But I think that's the reason is because uh, now um, sometimes I want too much. Like uh, we said before, I want to win with style or uh, be in front and push in front all the time. So what I really need, it's like to find my balance like I had on that super final. And uh, yeah, the, on, on the first X-Alps, I think I couldn't have won because uh, I didn't have the experience. It was... Uh, it was uh, uto- uh, it was really not possible for me to win, and these X Alps, the the one which you took part as well, I I, I think I was really well prepared, but uh, um, uh, combination of fact, it's 
it didn't work really from the beginning for me already from the prologue and uh, after the the first day it was fucked up and the second day was fucked up <laughs> and then i did a little bit good till almost monaco where i could still be third and then i fucked up again 10 kilometers before uh, the goal so but i i still don't find exactly the reason in myself why i i think because uh yeah like the the very last day i think i i just i just see it with uh um like my my consideration of the the final glide it was just wrong so it was one it was a mistake of my and the first and the second day it was a combination of a bit bad luck and bad instrument I had. So, yeah, that's the reason which I find out. <laughs> that that Garmin hosed us on day two. You and yeah. I both had a really bad day. I, I had a worse day than you. Luckily, you, you got out of that spot. But holy cow, that was a bad day for me. Yeah, it was a tough day. Like... Tell me, will you will you do the X-Alps again? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I... I I really dream now to win this competition. So I'm really focused to train more and to prepare better and to 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 try to don't do the mistake I have done this year and two years ago. And maybe I mean the the World Cup I it took me in the end uh, four years to win. Hmm. So four years I took uh, took part on the World Cup and on the fourth year I managed to win. So now actually I have done just two X Alps. So yeah, <laughs> I have at least two more. Two, at least two more. Yeah, we we might as well do it while we're healthy, isn't it? It, it sure is a blast. Um, that yeah. that the last night or the. The night I got into the day I got into Monaco, and that night we sat around uh, with with Petio and and Guselbauer, and um, we all had some pretty scary stories. I, I was so elated, and my feet were so mangled. I, I wasn't really thinking that well that night, anyway. But I, I was so elated to be there. I'd kind of uh, forgotten about or just the the risk and the danger. Um, but I remember you had some you and Onda had had a pretty serious situation uh, somewhere around the Col du Galibier in France. Um, and I, I'm actually been working on a book about the X Alps, and that that takes a big part in the book. Um, but I remember you being really quite upset. I, I I've seen you fly when we were training last spring. Uh, I, I saw you fly in some really rowdy conditions. Uh, it was I, I think of myself as a pretty I'm not a very risk adverse pilot but that was I didn't want to take off that day and you did happily um, so I know you don't mind flying in, in very rowdy and rough conditions but um, what have you thought about or how do you process the risk of the X Alps um, you know as you know I, I'm going to add a little bit more here I, I spent quite a bit of time with Will Gad on a film project with Red Bull last year and he did the first X Alps and he's always talking about having an acceptable margin for error and he he hated the X Alps he he just despised it because uh it forced him to go beyond that he was not living with an acceptable margin uh, on on some of the days. Some of the days just forces you, I think especially to be in the top 10, it forces you to um, push beyond where you would normally be willing to fly. Um, how are you 
Is that how you feel about the XOPS? Did you sometimes push it too far? Um, and, how, and how have you kind of resolved that going forward and into the next one? Yeah, like uh, that day on the Galibier, it started actually, I started in Chamonix that day. It was also a day where I fly 200 Ks. And uh, when I started in Chamonix till Annecy, it was really great flying. It was really nice. Uh, nice condition, just normal, just thermaling, strong, pushing, thermaling, strong, pushing. It was fine. Then I land um, in Annecy. I took off again. I crossed the lake. I went to the, the valley to Albertville. There it was also kind of difficult because it was kind of weak. And we still didn't feel the, the strong wind. And the, the wind start. Uh, uh, just before the Galibier Pass, and uh, but still before we crossed the Galibier Pass, it was uh, kind of okay. We could uh, like uh, soar the 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 north northwest side, mm. and um, and then like jumping once it was higher, jumping to the next ridge. Mm -hmm. The problem was after the Galibier, uh, in the valley, in the Brianson Valley, was around 60 k's of wind. And on the pass, it was uh, also like 60 k's of wind. Oh. And uh, actually, we did like, because I was with the two French there, and we did like two reaches. We was like kind of, it, it was not really soaring. Like before the reach, we, we turned like uh, by headwind. And then we was like flying backwards. And then when we was getting next to the ridge, we we get kind of wave. And so there we was climbing and on the top of the way we turn and we go for the next ridge. So it was kind of wave or soaring wave, kind of this mm. strange thing. And it was working actually very well till uh, two reaches was fine. And then the third one, I, I turn again headwind, but I didn't climb. I, I was just flying backwards and a, a lot, and uh, and I was and I was suspected to climb, but I I never climbed and I was just flying back next to the cliff, the big uh, really a huge cliff, and uh, and then when I was kind of hundred meter before, uh, I think a kind of very strong thermal or kind of dust devil or something start and my glider by just straight fly start to spin and then I have spinning on the left or right I don't remember I make like one turn like in a mixer and I stop the glider I was again headwind and then it start immediately spinning from the other side then I stop it again I keep in a kind of tail slide I let the glider fly and then I was like maybe 20 or 30 meters next to the cliff and then it comes a next gust which like just take me and threw me up with the glider was like 90 degrees next to me I was in a kind of wing over but somehow climbing and it lift me up and then it uh, shoot me down on the on the lee side so in that situation for sure I was kind of good to keep the glider open but I felt I don't have I don't have the control of 
of what I'm doing. I'm just uh, uh, a leaves in a in a in a strong wind, you know, and uh, yeah, that's make me feel really small and. And that was the thing which scared me the most because I felt like this and the power which was there it was way bigger than me and what that what I con I can't control this and then I was in the lee side there I was flying with the wind like 110 120 k's an hour and Ooh. having like big collapse and then reopening the glider then climbing super a lot then sinking super a lot. And there I felt, okay, now I have really enough. And uh, yeah, the point was I felt really uh, that it's, I'm nobody there. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep open my glider and to save my life. And then I actually want to land, but uh, um, I, I called my supporter and they told me no way to land because in the valley it's 60 Ks of gas and it's like horrible. So I have to to keep on flying, and yeah, that that was probably one of the hardest moment ever of my life because I I didn't felt that I want to be in the air in the air. I didn't felt I I'm I I I have pleasure to to fly, you know. Mm. But uh, sounds terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty terrible. But yeah, I don't know somehow. I don't know how I, I, I already right after I arrive in Monaco, I kind of, I it's not that I forget, but uh, yeah, the the adventure was so big, and I don't know. I have immediately the feeling, okay, if it's gonna start in one week again, I will start it. You know, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I was the exact same way, you know. That that night when I went to bed, uh, I was I was helped out by taking quite a bit of oxycodone for my feet, so I definitely was not all with it, and I hadn't really drank much at all for the whole you know nine months of training. So I'd, I'd had a couple beers with you guys that too. So I was I was definitely uh, you know feeling the elation from that as well. But I, I went to bed that night thinking I don't think this is a really reasonable amount of risk. I'm not sure if I do this again. And then the next morning I was just I would have just started again. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's it's. It's a phenomenal adventure, isn't it? It's really terrific. It's kind of like the uh, I like what I like what Hansa said at some time during the race. He said it was the perfect game, and I, I I've been comparing it. I mean, for this book I've been writing, I was I was I did a bunch of research on kind of the quote unquote hardest and toughest adventure races in the world, and I think where the the XOPS really stands alone is the. Uh, is most of these hardest or toughest that there are is is really a matter of physical training and putting your head down and just doing it and where the whereas the xops certainly has that in spades but it also has this element of of chess it has this element of real strategy and and and, you know like you said it's what what killed me early on was was racing you know it's so much better to stay in the air and go slow than it is to to go fast and bomb out it's just a totally different kind of strategy and tactic that i i really enjoy it really is the perfect game isn't it yeah it is (laughs) so you'll do it again and how how will you approach um you know you've had two really good results but how how will you go about beating kriegel the next time around how what do you what did you learn what will you take forward what will you change one point is uh it's the where I really have to work. It's the 
the the instrument uh, part navigate myself on the ground mm. which was the the reason why we fucked up the second day yeah. and i think if we will not have such a bad day the second day it, the 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 all competition could have been way different yeah because uh, that day it was not only the the fact that we arrive a little bit later on the takeoff but it was also that i felt really really uh, exhausted because it was warm we didn't have enough water we didn't have enough food and i think we went flying like maybe 30% of our yeah. um uh brain power you know yeah and uh, i think that was that was really one one big uh, uh, fact which uh, make our uh, my one and your Xalps really tough. Yeah, yeah. I hard to with, start off start off with such yeah. a bad day after having such a good day in the beginning. I, I I learned a lot from you that day. You know, when we got that launch, you really slowed down and ate, and I was so furious that you know Vichy and and Stanislav had caught ups and and already taken off I was I was just rushing and that's the biggest lesson for me is to not rush I should really should have waited for you we should have worked together and and I I ended up flying I did try to work with you when we got to that next uh, ridge line but I was uh, again rushing too much bar too much rushing yeah yeah Yeah, this was I mean instrument and navigation on the ground it's one point where uh, I have for sure to to be better. Hmm. Me, not during the comp, but on the preparation. And uh, I think it's really important to have good internet connection. So I I will uh, I will try to to have either better internet or to have really proof uh, offline maps which yeah. uh, it can navigate me uh, well. Hmm. That's one point, and uh, uh, then from the flying side, um, I think uh, I I have to fly more cross country in the way of uh, okay, the day it's like ten hours or uh, five hours. I have to fly not exactly the fastest, but like to use the ten hours. Hmm. And uh, that will bring me more far. And to do this, I have to to fly more cross country and a little bit uh, uh, try to 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 get really as far as possible and to use every every small time we have in the air. So next year and in two years, I will fly a little bit more cross country. And uh, then. Um, yeah, another point is I think uh, um, I will try to fly in uh, different places with uh, stronger condition mm. to train in uh, windy condition and uh, um, to get more used to this uh, condition which we had this year. Mm. But I'm already doing this, but most of the time in my area, which I know very well, Sure. But I think it's uh, it's very important to do this in area where you don't know, which I don't know so well, because then you have to think more and to think more about the air, how it's moving around the mountain, and 
how it's going to be there and there and where it's the Lee and where it's the Louvre and where maybe it's going to be less wind and uh, how to use more the wind to get where you you have to get. Because I think it's a big difference to do this at home or in a place where you don't know. Because at home I, I'm just caring more or less about holding the glider in really turbulent in uh, turbulent condition. Mm-hmm. But in other place I have to think to hold the glider, but also to think where I have to fly, which at home I don't have to do it because I'm flying 15 years here. You know it. You know it. On that um, on that note, there was I, I put out a thing right before we started talking to the, on Facebook. If anybody had any questions for you, one of the uh, respondents was, "What was your favorite? What's your favorite place to fly outside of competitions? Do you have a favorite site?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> luckily it's exactly where I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. You live in an amazing place. That was it was quite cool too. That uh, Murano was basically right on course line. So it was. I spent quite a bit of time there this spring learning it. You live in a really amazing place to fly. Yeah, I I, I think so because in the place where I live, I have the chance to fly high mountain and glacier stuff, and then just high mountain without glacier, and then there is also a high plateau which is a kind of flat and it's small but it's like um, a bit less than 20k so i can also train kind of uh flying just the cloud cloud street and uh uh yeah like flying more as in a flatland so it's i, I love where i live <laughs> that's great it's uh, nice to love where you live that, that's half the battle isn't it um so looking more also at the at the ex-alps is there afterwards the organization uh asked all of us if there's anything they could do uh you know are there any needed changes are there any anything they can do to make it safer um do you have any disappointments with the the ex-alps or anything that you feel should be changed uh i think uh, long about it also with my supporter and uh, i think you can't make this race safe. Mm. Uh, the only thing which maybe could be, it's uh, like uh, to to prolong a little bit the, the resting time. Mm. This could make uh, the, the race a little bit more safe. But that's all. Like During the race, it was uh, sometimes, I think twice, we got the message like, yeah, tomorrow or today it's going to be super uh, strong wind and uh, don't fly. Or uh, It doesn't make sense. I mean, this kind of mm, on this kind of competition, you can't forbid them flying. No. So, yeah, I don't think it's, it's really... It's always up to the pilot in the end. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I really thought and and maybe this was the 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 shape I was in when I got there. I, I don't know, but I I didn't I did not enjoy the last hundred k um, from a danger perspective. I you know I trained in southern France uh, for maybe a week back in May and actually had quite similar conditions. It was very windy and really strong uh, valley wind, especially for that early in the year. I think it was a big high-pressure system, and I I really didn't enjoy that part of the course, I think especially because we get there when we're really exhausted. Um, and then I really didn't enjoy Monaco. I, I felt like 
the pay was a was a really dusty, dirty, you know, I mean, you're looking out at the ocean. I get it. I understand why they bring us there, you know, from a marketing standpoint. But I think it would have been so glorious or it would be so glorious to end in a place like San Andre or Annecy or somewhere where there's where paragliding is a big deal. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I felt yeah. like Monaco yeah, was it was a real, real deflating end, I think, for the athletes. I, I Again, I get it from the marketing standpoint. It's cool to go to the ocean, but uh, wow, there's there's nobody there. No one cares. No one, you know. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I'm at, for me this year, you know, I I already know it. How is it? So mm. I have this shock more the first year. Ah, okay, right. Sure. <clears throat> you start in Monaco. Uh, you start in Salzburg. In Austria, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Like two years ago, it was even much more because we was uh, working a bit more in Austria, and I have plenty of people coming to me, bring me like uh, power bars, uh, uh, doing part of the, the, the route with me by walking or by bicycle. And uh, it was really nice. You you felt like uh, the people it's following and uh, they, they, they look at you as a hero. It's really nice. Mm. And uh, in Monaco you get there and yeah, it's nothing. It's... <laughs> It's really, it's really nothing. Nobody care, like you said. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, from the other side, you know, like I know this race since the beginning because I was uh, a small kid actually on the very first X Alps, um, and uh, this idea Salzburg to Monaco, it's still very strong, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is a special line for sure. I just. Boy, that last that last leg is tough. I, I know you guys, the three of you, th- flew a good portion of it. I did about 110k on the ground. It was miserable, but it was uh, it was uh, yeah. It's it's just tough down there. The the it, you know there's there's so few places to land. It's so narrow. It's a, it's a really yeah, challenging yeah. place to I mean, fly. I call this valley with my girlfriend the horror valley. Yeah, exactly. And it was is so bad this year. I could fly. I mean, I fly it also two years ago, hmm. almost all the way to to Monaco. But uh, yeah, it's it's very scary. Like you watch down and you know that you can't land. It's nothing to land. It's strong wind. It's like two years ago after the La Bonne Pass, I land at four o'clock or three o'clock. With huge thunderstorm flying backwards at 2,300 meters, and uh, yeah, it was really, really horror. And this year, I was more lucky from the flying side uh, point because it was like probably yeah um, a part of the first day. Uh, the last day was the the best day, mm. uh, but. Uh, Anyway, when you fly there, it's super scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it certainly is. It certainly is scary. Well, Aaron, I I really appreciate this. We've uh, we've hit our hour and then some. I don't want to take any more of your time. That's a that's a good place to end. But before we do, um, why don't you give a shout out to your your sponsors and then uh, you know for for people that uh, like following what you're doing, uh, how can how can people get a hold of you? Where where can they find you? Oh well, I'm pretty active on my social media on the on the Facebook. Um, yeah, 
or uh, on the every now and then it gets some update uh, of my projects on the Red Bull page uh, under Aaron Rogatti. Like next year, I will have a very interesting project, which is still kind of secret, but yeah, they will see soon. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that. And then, uh, what about your sponsors? Why don't you just give a shout to them, and and uh, and then we'll sign off. Yeah, well, I'm very, very glad to have uh, the sponsor I have. I'm sponsored by by the Red Bull, uh, as we told before. And then I have um, this um, Saleva as uh, mountaineering equipment, and uh, Dinafit because uh, I, I'm doing also a lot of skiing and speed riding. And uh, a big sponsor of mine, which which was kind of from the beginning, together with Jin, of course, which uh, sponsored me already since 2009. It's uh, Zeip, Dr. Zeip, which is uh, a Swedish uh, brand of uh, sunglasses and ski goggles. And they're really cool guys. And yeah, I'm really thankful to have all of them. Great. Aaron, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. I think uh, folks are going to love that. And we'll get this out uh, early next week. But happy holidays and uh, good talking to you, buddy. Good. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. We do nothing without time. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Always great to spend some time with such a great character in our sport. Uh, Aaron has uh, really been dominating out there, and it's it's fun to get his insights. Uh, as always, all we ask for is a buck a show. If you got something out of that, or you liked it, or you liked one of the previous shows, I can certainly recommend some others for you. Uh, Nate Scales uh, is fantastic. Jeff Shapiro is fantastic. They're all great, but uh, go back and check some of those out if you haven't gotten a chance. I just did one recently with Tom Dorlado. It was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, if you go to our website, cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can see in each of the podcasts there's a little donate button. Send us a buck if you liked it. If you got something out of it, really appreciate it. And also, if you could... Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher or some other way, if you could give us a rating, that, that goes a long ways. Um, reach out to me via the website or Facebook or whatever means of communication you have. You can find me all over the place. If you want to see somebody on the show or you want to see things done differently or if you have any feedback, I am wide open to that. Thank you very much. Thanks for your generosity, and we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. <laughs>